For those who don't know me, I'm Francis and uh, live out here in San Francisco, do ministry out in the Bayview uh, District here in San Francisco. My wife actually was the one that taught the women last week. That's the first time we've done this where she taught at a place the week before. And so um, even as I'm leaving the house, she's like, so how many guys are showing up? I'm like about 30 less than you had women. And I go, but our guys had to pay $10. And she's like, the women had to pay 15 <laughs> I was like, man, they, they charge 15 to listen to you and 10 to listen to me. So I, I will never hear the end of it, just so you know. Um, but uh, hey, I want to I share with you, this has nothing to do with my talk, I don't think. Um, but uh, just a, a passage of scripture that hit me really hard yesterday. You know those passages where you've read it, uh, you know, a few dozen times, and then something just clicks, you know, and you finally get it. Uh, it was Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four, verse thirteen. It says this: "And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed." To the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Okay, just just think about that for a second. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Okay, it's just this imagery where it's like, okay, right now, the one that we're going to face one day... I have no idea who you are. You have no idea what's really going on. But the truth is, is we're all naked right now before him, exposed inside out. He goes, I know every single detail in this room. I know every thought, everything that's gone on in this room. Man, that's intense. And, and he emphasizes that, and he, that it's no big deal if I know or, or, or Ben knows or any of the staff knows or whoever is leading you knows. It, it doesn't matter because you're not going to give an account to us. You know, at the end, I'm not going to be there judging you. Who cares what I think? He's talking about the one that, to whom we must give account. But, but then right after that, right after something so intense like that, he goes on and he says, since then we have... A a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And here's the part I never really focused on. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Okay, I never looked at Jesus that way. I, when I pray, you know, like when I screw up or, or when I'm tempted, my prayer is just, God, I am so sorry. I can't believe I did that again. Give me the power. To... But I never once really thought about Jesus sympathizing with my weakness. That's a foreign thought to me because I just think, you're perfect. You don't understand what I'm going through. You're perfect. How can you sympathize with this? Because I think a lot of times we talk about the deity of Jesus and we don't talk enough about the fact, no, he really 100% became man. And, 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 And 
I don't know, maybe I'm scared. I don't want to be blasphemous and I don't want to dare say that Jesus was somehow tempted or that he could sympathize with my weakness. It felt very much like something I'm not allowed to say. Like I don't want to dare say or bring him down to my level. But when you read this passage, it's like, okay, but this is the word of God. That's saying we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Again, I want to be careful with this, but I don't know. The simple reading makes it seem like God gets it. Uh, whatever you're tempted with, that somehow he really got it and he can sympathize with our weaknesses. I don't know that. I don't know why it hit me so hard and it, it caused me to pray differently yesterday after I read that passage. It's like, okay, so Jesus, did, did you understand lust? Really? And you can sympathize with my weakness in that area. I, I don't know. It's it's a uh, it just it it changed the way I prayed. Um, it changed the way that I I looked at him when I looked at that passage. Um, and he says, "Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need." It's like, okay, so I can come before you and say, God, it's almost like our kids, right? Those of you who have children, you know how sometimes they lie to you and you know they're lying and you just go, just say it. I already know what you're doing, you know, but somehow they think you don't know. And it's like, man, how often do I come before God like that? Where you say, Francis, just say it. Why are you changing all your words when you're talking to me? Just, I know what you did. Just throw it out there. And, and then I also thought about how, man, don't sometimes your kids look at you like, well, you wouldn't understand. Oh, yeah, because you're just so much more brilliant than I am. And when I was young, there were no girls. Um, you, you know, it's, it's just, you, you, what do you mean I don't understand or that I don't get the temptations you were tempted with? And I guess it just brought, it, it just, it changed my, my way of praying. Um, and even this morning, coming before God and going, okay, God, okay, so you're this high priest who understands that, that some days I wake up and I really don't want to do the will of the Father. I want to just kind of do my own thing today. It it may not even be like this major sinful thing. I just don't want to be about your mission. I don't want to be about making disciples today. I mean, you understand that? Like you can sympathize with that weakness in me? Was that really a temptation of yours to go against the Father and yet you were able to obey? So did you feel some of that temptation? That's crazy to me. So you understand me. And there'll be grace when I come before your throne and saying, Jesus, this is why I need you so badly. But you can give me power. And I'm right now just exposed before you. You know everything about me. So I just stand here naked and exposed, inside and out. You know everything. So God, let me just tell you what I did. Let me tell you what I'm thinking. Let me tell you why sometimes I get in front of a crowd and I don't want to say everything you tell me to say. 
because I still am a people pleaser and I still want to be liked and I don't want to be rejected. And I, I'll read about the prophets in the Old Testament and go, ooh, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could take that much rejection. And I know your word says, woe to you when all men speak well of you. You know, because that's the way they treat the false prophets. But sometimes I just, I just want to be liked. And so it's scary, especially in this city, to talk about things and to say that, you know, God does have the right to judge. God does have the right to say what is right and wrong. God is, does have the right to tell me to deny certain desires of mine. I, I mean, he, he, he's the creator, and I think differently from him. And, and, and as the creator, he has rights that I don't have. Probably my favorite quote of all time was I was in college and I was just driving and I was listening to this old guy on the radio called J. Vernon McGee. Now, some of you guys have heard of him. And I remember I was just driving and I, I don't know. I mean, he was fine. But, I, but this one statement he made just killed me because he had that old like kind of Colonel Sanders kind of voice. Um, and he goes, but this is what he says is, this is God's universe. And God does things his way. Now, you may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. (laughs) I thought, it's that simple, okay? It is that simple, people. It's like, okay, I have a lot of thoughts of how we should run this earth. And he's just saying, that's great. That's awesome. You have brilliant thoughts, okay, but you don't have a universe. Uh, That's the difference between you and God. And we all have these different ideas, but it's about coming before him and saying, you know what? When I disagree with this book, I usually assume that I'm wrong and I come under the teaching of this book. And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And, uh, and yet at the same time, we have this high priest that understands that uh, even in our weakness and our desire to rebel, we can come before him and say, God, you saw that. I'm exposed before you saw that. But God, I need your help to change me. You know what it's like down here on this earth. Okay, I'm not facing anything you didn't face. You get it, and you made it through. So help me make it through. And I just want to say, too, I am very grateful um, for, for Ben and the leadership here at Epic Church because, man, you guys have taken a stand on the Word of God. And, man, I, I'm so grateful for that because we live in a crazy time where even people who call themselves Christian and are not willing to take a stand on the Word of God and say, no, this is what God says, and I don't even like parts of it, but I come under it because that's who He is. And it encourages me to know that a church like that exists alongside of us. And like Ben says, it's a sweet fellowship we have with some of these other uh, men of God in this city that go, man, it's tough, but we can't back down. And there's something about this unity where it's like, man, we're, we're in a war here. Um, and let's be compassionate, let's be loving, let's be understanding. But at the same time, let's have a fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And uh, let's, let's not forget who we answer to at the end. We're not going to give an account to San Francisco. We're not going to give an account to America. We're going to give an account to a holy God. And I tell you, let me, you know, I, I think I told 
use some verses I'm going to use. I'm not going to use any of those. Um, I, just as I'm praying and in worship, I just, I, I, this is where I sense God leading us tonight. Um, I, I, I grew up in the church, kind of. Um, I was raised, I was born in San Francisco, right in Chinatown. And uh, my mom actually died giving birth to me uh, right there in Chinatown. And so my dad sent me to Hong Kong and grew up with my grandparents, raised Buddhists. And my dad remarried, then I came back to the States. And then, then uh, finally I had a family, then my stepmom died when I was like eight years old. My dad got married again. Then he died when I was 12. And so I'm in junior high going, what's this all about? Like, it's, it's a freaky thing to be 12 years old or 9 years old and watch your parents' body be put into the dirt. It's, it's a crazy thing. It starts to mess with you. I mean, this is reality. This goes around. I don't go, oh, poor me. I'm actually very grateful that that's how it all worked out. Because by the time I was in high school, I was starting to think, what is this all about? You know, as my friends were doing one thing, I'm going, I need to figure out the truth about what happens when I die. I want to be sure of this. Man, I remember laying in bed at nights and, and, and picturing my dad there, you know, in that casket, in that picture of him, you know, as, as that crane slowly just lowers him in the ground and just freaking out like, man, his body is just buried. Like, what is this? What, what's going on? Like, I'll, I'll never see him again. I'll never see my mom again. I, you, you know, this stuff happens and you, you, you start thinking a little more seriously. And I, I'm so grateful that even to this day, like, I don't assume tomorrow is going to happen. You know, when I put my beds and my, my kids to bed, it's like I have this focus like this could be it. And so, man, let's let's make sure this is right. Make sure this is good. I want to think through how are you going to remember me? Um, you know, what, what, what type of life did I live? And, and you know, I've, I've got seven kids. You know, my oldest is in college and my youngest is in diapers. And so it's, it's insane. And, uh, you know, so it's good to be here. Um, <laughs> but thinking through, man, every relationship there and going, man, when I'm gone, I, I think through, okay, are these guys going to last? Are they going to make it in this world? And are they going to be okay without me? I mean, that's, that's what all of discipleship is about is, you know, as a pastor, I didn't think that way initially. You know, I, I started this church down in uh, Southern California and, you know, just out of a house and it ended up growing into thousands of people. Um, led it for like 16 years and I just felt like the Lord was leading me on. It's time to go. And... But it was like my baby, you know, my giant baby, you know, four or five thousand people that I adored. And we planted churches, started a college, just doing all sorts of things, sending people all around the world. But just knew the Lord was taking me for another step of faith into something different. Um, And it was a crazy time, crazy, crazy time, all of that. Uh, But when I left... So did a lot of other people, and that bothered me um, because it's like when we build a church too much around a personality or a teaching gift, it's like, is that really what God called us to do? 
But instead, it was the people that were supposed to make disciples. It wasn't supposed to be a crowd that came to just listen to one person week after week after week. It was like, no, the leaders were to equip the people, and they were supposed to go and make the disciples. And they were actually supposed to do the work of the ministry. And I kind of messed that up. I created a system that was all just built around, come and listen to this guy speak. And people would show up and listen to me speak. And it's like, man, I don't really need any staff. I don't really need any of you. you know, I don't really need anybody. It's, it's like, let me just go and talk and people show up. And, and yet that's not what God asked for in a church. He says, no, I, I want every, every person in here who is a real believer in Jesus Christ has this supernatural gift. Like not just like an average or mediocre gift. I mean, according to the Bible, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 8, that everyone has a gift for the common good. And it just doesn't mean that you just, oh, I can sing or I can speak. No, it's something even beyond that, like some sort of spiritual gift. Like you have something to offer to this body. And I, I didn't get that before. It was just that one-man show. You know, I was Kobe. It's just, you know, I don't pass. I, I, I'll do this thing. And it was just that type of mindset that, 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 that killed the, you know, I don't know. I kind of rambled on that. That was a tangent. But what I was getting to was uh, growing up in the church, this is what I think God wanted me to talk about tonight. There came a point when I started reading this book for myself. Okay? So when I came back to the States, we went to this little Chinese church, and I had no one in the world was going on. Um, but later in life, in, in the high school days, I started reading this book for myself. And it was very confusing. Not, not the book. I understand there were some confusing parts. But what was confusing to me was I would read about what the church was supposed to be like and what believers were like. And then I would go to church. And that was confusing because I'm like, I don't get how these two come together. Okay, these te- seem like two totally different concepts of these believers who, 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 you know, which is the goal of this church is they centered everything around God. Like everything. Like they would sell everything. They, they just were insane. I mean, they were radical. And then, and then I'd go to these church services. And everything seemed like fine to them. And I'm going, man, have you read this? But, but the point I really want to hit today was I remember the first time I read a, a description of God. See, I'd been going to church, but no one described him to me. They just said, pray to him. Believe in him. Sing to him. It's like, Okay. I believe in him. Okay, I'll sing. That's who you are. It's who you are. You know, you're good, good. You, you know, and that's great. But I remember reading certain passages of Scripture where I'm going, how come no one talks about this? At least when I was growing up, I'm like, and I would look at people in the church, like, and in my youth group, like, are you, are you seriously reading the same book I'm reading? Because this is freaking me out. And I remember the first time I read Isaiah 6. I'm going, what? Uh, And thinking about Isaiah when he first saw God. 
don't know if you ever read it, but, but, but again, people would tell me to believe in him, but they never described him. I mean, I don't know what picture comes to your mind when, when you start praying, like who you think you're speaking to. But as I started reading some of these passages like Isaiah 6, like Revelation 4, I, I started going, whoa, that's who I'm talking to? In Isaiah 6, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I don't know what you picture when you think of God, but Isaiah, Isaiah got to see a glimpse of God. It seems like somehow it was this veiled vision because... The Bible says no one can see God and live. Remember that? Moses tells tells God, can I just see you? Can I just see you? And God says, no. You can't look at me. No human being can see my face and live. This is something I think we've so lost in our culture, the gap between God and man. Sometimes we just talk to God like he's one of us. Like, hey, God, what's going on? We just talk to him like another human being. And it's true, when he came to this earth, he emptied himself and made himself nothing to take the form of a man. But then God exalted him, gave him the name. It, It brought him right back up there. And it's just this idea of, but what is he like? The Bible uses this word holy. That means set apart. That means he's not like us. He's not, yes, we were created in his image. But he says, look, my, you know how the heavens are like way higher than the earth? That's the way my thoughts are compared to yours. Okay, you you think you're so brilliant. Oh, you have a PhD. Oh, that's awesome. You've existed 70 years. Ooh, you're old, you know? And here's an eternal God who's just always been there. And he says, you, you need to understand that I am holy. I'm so different from you. I, I don't know, for some reason, no one told me that. They would use a word like holy. We'd sing songs like holy, 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 but I don't know what they were talking about. It's this idea that there's a being right now that if you were to look at him, if somehow he could tear this building off and just let us look into the sky and get a glimpse of his face right now, think about this. There's a being right now. As we're sitting in this room, first of all, we're exposed before him. He sees everything in us. And he says, if you could look up and see me right now, boom, you would die. Okay, that's not normal, okay? That's holy. It's like, okay, so there's a being up there who I can't even look at or I would die. The Bible says that he alone is immortal and he gives life to everyone. So he gave me that. What does that do to you to know that there's a being up there that determines whether I keep breathing through the rest of this talk and who determines whether we walk out of this room. And if we looked at him right now, we would die. 
He's holy. No one told me that. And, 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 and yet every once in a while in Scripture, he would let someone get some sort of glimpse of him. And, 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 and it, it happened here to Isaiah, his prophet. It, it says in, in, in if, um, Isaiah 6, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw him. And it was interesting that it was in the year that King Uzziah died, because uh, King Uzziah was an incredible leader. He was an incredible king. And if you ever look at the history of Israel, you know when they have a good king, things are good. But when they have a bad king, things are really bad. And so under Uzziah, it was awesome. It was like, I think it was 52 years under this one good king. And then he dies. And we're like, ooh, what happens now? And it's interesting that God tells Isaiah, takes Isaiah and says, I'm going to give you a glimpse of me. Because it doesn't really matter who's on that little throne on that little planet. Ultimately, I want you to see who really controls this earth. And Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. He was sitting in a throne, lofty and exalted. And it says the train of his robe filled the whole temple. So picture this massive temple with this being. I, I mean, imagine if you walked in tonight and no one else was here. And you walk in and suddenly this room expanded or whatever and it was just you and this being sitting on a throne who filled up the entire room. Imagine how your heart would be pounding. Imagine the intensity of that and it goes on and it says that above him stood the seraphim. These are the high angels and each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. So, so Isaiah says, okay, I saw the Lord. Man, he's sitting on this throne, high and exalted. I walk in, I see this, I'm in the temple. And it's his whole robe, like he filled the entire place. And then there's these angels there. And one is screaming to the other. As, as they've got six wings. And with two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. So they're like covered from head to toe. And, and even these high angels are like, man, we're not worthy to look at God. We, we don't, we're not worthy to have him look upon it. These are the high angels covering themselves up head to toe. And one screaming to the other one. He's going, holy, 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 like this being on the throne is, is so set apart from us. He's so way beyond us. We can't even look upon him. The whole earth is full of his glory. And he says, this angel is shouting it so loud that everything was shaking and the whole temple's filling with smoke. And I'm just, I'm just saying, would you put yourself on Isaiah's shoes for just one second and imagine standing before him, the one that you are naked and exposed before, and he knows everything about you. And you're standing before him and he's sitting on his throne, filling up the whole temple. Angels are covering themselves up and screaming out his whole holiness and then you're just standing there what would you say to him 
What would you feel? And my question is, is do you feel that when you pray? See, when I, I read that and understood that for the first time, man, I used to lay in my bed and pray and fall asleep and casually just do my prayers. And then when I would stop and take a minute and just think, okay, who am I about to talk to? This holy being who's keeping me alive right now? That if I were to look at him, I would die? And right now there's high angels that are covering themselves up, screaming how holy he is, and I'm going to talk to him? Man, I couldn't just lay in bed anymore. It was like getting on my knees and just going, okay, God, you know everything about me, all right? So here's all the junk. Man, I'm sorry about this. I'm sorry about this. And you, you saw this. See, I don't know what you would say if that happened and you actually came into the presence of God. I, I'll tell you what Isaiah said. Isaiah, his, his response, verse 5, he says, Woe is me. I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah goes, oh no, I saw him. That means I die. He says, woe is me. We don't use that word woe nowadays. But think about the strongest word you could use. That's basically what Isaiah said is, um, yeah, he's going to kill me. Because he knows what I did. He knows the things that have come out of this mouth. And now I'm in front of him and I just saw him. I'm a man. I'm not allowed to see him. I'm a human being. I live in this gross place where we say these terrible things about him. And now I've seen him. He's going to kill me. And an amazing thing happens after that. Verse 6, it says, Then one of the angels, the seraphim, flew to me, having a coal in his hand that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. He says, look, here I am. I'm not hiding anything from you. You know what I've said. You have every right to kill me. I am dead. And an angel comes over and says, no, no, no. You, you sinned with your lips here. Look, I'll cleanse your lips right now. Someone paid for it. Someone atoned. Your sins were atoned for. And this was all a, a, a foreshadow and prophecy of what was going to happen in the cross. It's not like God didn't know the cross was going to happen 600 years beforehand. It was all his plan. Your sin has been atoned for. And Jeremiah, I mean, Isaiah's response is, and the, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. So, so then he hears God saying, okay, I need a messenger. And Isaiah's like, oh, send me. I should be dead anyways. Just take me. I'll do anything. I'll say whatever you need me to say. And it's interesting because after Isaiah's like, okay, I want, I want to be that person. You know, then, then, then God says, okay, go. 
Say to this people, keep on learning, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes or hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he says, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. So Isaiah's like, God, send me. I'll go. I'll go. You need a messenger on the earth? Send me back there. Okay, this was awesome. I got to see you, the angels. You forgave me. Send me. I'll be your messenger. And God says, okay, okay, go, go. But here's what's going to happen. He says, you're going to talk to these people, and they'll listen to you, but they'll never understand. They'll keep seeing you, but they don't really perceive it. He says, make the heart of this people dull, their ears heavy, blind their eyes. I mean, it's not a great assignment. And Isaiah's like, well, how long do I keep that up for? And he says, until the whole city just lies waste without it. No one's going to listen to you. I mean, what a terrible assignment. He says, yeah, go down there. No one's going to listen to you. You think people are going to fear me and follow me? They're not. I'm sending you as my messenger, though. And I'm telling you to say some things. And the people aren't going to listen to it. And Isaiah's like, well, then what happens? He goes, well, then I'm going to destroy them. All right. I, I shouldn't be alive anyways. Okay, send me back down there. You know, it, it's just... But I, I think a lot of times, you know, when we... Like, like for example, in this city, it's, it's hard at work to tell people about Jesus, right? Because you know you'll be rejected. Then you start thinking, I'm not, I must not be doing this right. But you know what? God doesn't promise that everyone who you talk to is going to listen to you. He never promises revival. In fact, he promises the opposite. He usually promises the opposite. And he even tells Isaiah ahead of time, this is what's going to happen. You're going to get out there. Look, I'm not going to... I see, I see so many people come to, to, to rallies like this and say, you guys are going to go out there and we're going to change all of San Francisco. Yeah! And it's like, did you get that from the Word of God? Because what I read is that there's a narrow road that leads to life and few will find it, but there's a broad, easy road that leads to destruction and many will enter through it. So I'm just being real with you. Are we called to go out and make disciples? Yeah. But does he tell us revival's going to come? Usually not. In fact, Paul tells Timothy, and this is why I'm grateful for this church. You know, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. 
but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And I love that phrase. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He, Paul tells Timothy, look, in the, in the last days, which I think most of us here would believe we're in, he says people are not going to put up with sound doctrine. You know what they're going to do? It says they're going to find teachers to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. He's telling us ahead of time. Yeah, go out, make disciples, go out with the word of God, stand on truth, but don't expect people to applaud you for it. He goes, in in fact, in the last days, they're not going to put up with it. They're going to go find a church that will tell them what they want to hear. They're going to look for a teacher and say, you know, divorce isn't really that big a deal. You know, if, if, she's, if she's not treating you right, just, just go ahead and leave her. Is, is he looking at pornography? You know, just, just leave him. It's okay. And they won't take stands on anything. They're going to go and find a teacher to tell them what they want to hear. And that's why I'm, I'm begging you. Look, like he told Timothy, this is going to happen. It's going to get tough. You know, but he says in the end... For some of us, he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I believe he said to Isaiah, okay, you did it. I told you they wouldn't listen, right? I told you. That was brutal, huh? (laughs) You know? And we just got done reading Jeremiah in our church, you know, and just reading about, man, no one listened to that guy. You know, and he's stuck in a dungeon, thrown in a pit. You know, he's, he's put in the stocks. You know, people are mocking him. He's getting beaten. We're reading about Ezekiel. Same old thing. And that's why Jesus says, look, blessed are you when people curse you, when they insult you, when they accuse you falsely on account of my name. Because that's the way they treated the prophets. But woe to you when all men speak well of you. Because that's how the, your, our fathers treated the false prophets. And so you can be a false prophet and tell people whatever they want to hear. And there'll be plenty of those. But God's saying, who can I count on to just lay it out there and call sin for what it is and tell people that there still is a judgment? Man, we live in a time where very few people believe that Jesus is really going to return to judge the earth, to judge the world. Um. I've heard so many people just say, look, there, there is no hell. There is no judgment. How could a loving God punish? And I'm going, have you ever read this? I mean, by page two, he kills everyone. You know, like, did you not notice that? Did you get so caught up in the ark? You know, it's like, oh, cute, all the animals. How'd they do that anyways? <laughs> that you didn't notice the point was that he killed everyone on the planet through a flood. It's kind of huge, this being who made us and said, look, I, I can destroy you, and I've done it. That there's a God who said to Egypt, I'll, I'll kill the firstborn of every house. 
We go, well, how could a loving God do? He just did. Just because he's a loving God doesn't mean he's not also a just God. It's not like his love means he's not just anymore and that, that he's not a God of wrath as well as a God of love and a God of mercy. And it's not like there's just one facet to him. He's all of these things. People say, well, well, well that's, that's, that's all Old Testament stuff. Yeah, because he really mellows out in Revelation. You guys, it, it, this is this is serious, serious stuff, right? I mean, and there were just times when there's just a little pocket of people. It was just, it was just Jeremiah. It was just Isaiah. It was just Noah. It was just Lot. It was just, you know, these individuals, these little pockets of people. And that's why Paul tells Timothy in the end, look, here's where everyone's going to go. Here's where even the churches are going to go. That's the sad part. If you read 2 Timothy 3, he's talking about the church and how it just becomes just like the world. But then he tells Timothy, he goes, but as for you, don't you go there. You endure the suffering. Just take it. Take it on the chin. That's what it means to follow him. And so I don't want to come here and just throw some message at you like, come on, let's change San Francisco. I mean, yeah, I'd love to. And who knows? God may do something incredibly unique, and that would be awesome. I'm not saying I don't want that. I'm just saying that's not promised. And I'm saying the norm is there's a little pocket of people that go, you know what? I'll take it. I'll take it on the chin. I'm not going to be a coward. I'll take whatever I need to take because I understand who he is. I understand what he saved me from. And I'll be his message. Messenger, here am I. Send me. And I don't even expect this whole group to do it. You know? I think for a lot of you, your temptations are going to get the best of you. I think for some of you, there's going to be a temptation, something that's just so right there in your face that you just grab it. But I, I know one day you're going to look at that. I've seen many people do it, what they left God for and go, oh, that was the story of Judas, right? He's looking, after he betrays Jesus, he's looking at these 30 pieces of silver, and he's like, I don't even want this anymore. You remember that, 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 that look he gets? You know, you can read it. You can almost just see him going, I just betrayed God for this, for money? And he tries to take it back. Oh, here, take it back. I don't even want it. And he goes and he hangs himself because he realized, man, I gave up Jesus for this. I, mean, I can't even think right now. And, and, for, and I've seen people who, who at a certain point in their life, like, I gave up the eternal God, holy, holy God, for her? Really? For this money? And now I've got cancer anyways? I, I mean, our life is over. I'm just saying, you guys, don't do it. Don't fall for it. God's looking for a few of us that go, I'm not backing down. I love you. Even if it's mom, dad, whoever. But this is what I believe. And I'm going to stick to his commands. I'm going to stick to his law. And so, man, I, I, 
you guys should be grateful people. From everything I know about about Ben is that he's a man of God that wants to lead the church in this way, and uh, but he's not going to be able to do it alone. And he needs other men because he'll get a lot of pressure to change the doctrine. Come on, be more tolerant. You really believe that antiquate that that old book right there? You're still going to find. He needs men that say, "No, come on, Ben, don't don't you go there." The Bible says that we are the pillar. The church is the pillar of the truth. The pillar that holds up the truth. You know what happens if we take down one of these pillars that costs 80 grand to put up? You know? Man, the building comes down. And he says, that's the church. You guys hold up my word. Because the moment, the moment you get weak on me, boom. This is not on my watch. That's why it's like, nope. This is what it says. I'm holding it up and I'm staying under. I'm holding this thing up. This is what the Word of God says. I know all of you in this room, you know, you could be at work. You all think I'm an idiot. I know. I know. But I really believe in this book still. And when Jesus Christ returns, I want to be found holding it up, holding up truth, and going, yeah, I, I look like an idiot in the world, but now who's laughing? You know? Let me pray for you. Even before I pray, let's, let's think about who we're talking to. Let's think about who we're about to speak to. In your mind, picture God sitting on his throne, lofty and exalted, the train of his robe filling the temple so holy that we couldn't even look upon him right now. Picture high angels covering themselves up and screaming, holy, holy, holy. Right now that's going on in heaven. And now we're going to enter into his presence. just pause and think about how you're keeping us alive right now. We pause and we think about how you've always existed. We pause and we think about how the angels are worshiping you right now. God, forgive us because we're so stupid and sometimes we just rush into your presence like it's no big deal or a chore. God, that's so stupid. 
even make any sense that you give us every second of our lives and we can't make time for you. And yet I do it, God, we do it. And you understand it somehow. You can sympathize with our weakness. And we're saying, God, we don't want to be like that. We want to be like Jesus who got it. And he, it seemed like he got it all the time. God, help us to just live in your holiness and recognize who you are and recognize your presence with us throughout the day. I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that your Spirit would fall on us as men of God, not cowards, not so concerned about what people think of us, but you. God, in the end, it's just going to be about me and you. So help us to live like that now. God, I pray that Ben never backs down, but that his courage just grows. And for the staff, that would be true of them. And for the men in this room, give them a strength that's internal, God where they don't need a rally every week and they don't need 13 accountability partners. No, inside this, the Holy Spirit of God will just give them this boldness and this courage where they don't back down and to where they can lead other men and say, okay, follow my example as I follow Jesus. God, I pray that you would turn the men of Epic Church into absolute soldiers, fearless Lovers of you, lovers of people. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for Jesus, our high priest. God, the the, the sacrifices of bulls and goats allowed the high priest to come into your holy of holies and so how much more the blood of Christ allows us to come to your presence right now and we thank you for him otherwise there would be no chance in hell that I could come into your presence right now thank you for him we worship him we've come here to lift up the name of Jesus we're not ashamed of that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come into your presence without him. So we thank you for his blood that was shed so we could be forgiven and talk to you and even ask you for your grace and your power to fall on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.